Aaron's sons were brought to the tabernacle with Aaron. They were cleansed and they were dedicated to the Lord. This is very interesting reading in Exodus chapter 29. We're going to study that today. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembrick. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery. We go through the Bible in one year, Genesis to Revelation. We're doing it again this year. And we encourage you to join us if you haven't done so. But we're going to study in about three minutes. Corey and Ryan are coming up in about 15. Corey. I'm still back on the actual event of the Exodus itself. I'm going to be weighing into the debate over Pharaoh's hardened heart. Ryan. Today, scientist Dr. Jim Mason is my guest, and he responds to the oft-repeated claim that science has disproved the Bible. Wow. Has it? I don't think so. We'll find out. Janice? Today, I want to talk about the authority of Christ. All right. Take your Bible guide out. Turn to the most important book of all the Bible, and let's look at what God is saying to us. Exodus 29, 1 through 9. And this is what you shall do to them to hallow them for ministering to me as priests. Take one young bull and two rams without blemish, and unleavened bread, unleavened cakes mixed with oil, and unleavened wafers anointed with oil. You shall make them of wheat flour. You shall put them in one basket and bring them in the basket with the bull and the two rams. And Aaron and his sons you shall bring to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and you shall wash them with water. Then you shall take the garments, put the tunic on Aaron, and the robe of the ephod, the ephod and the breastplate, and gird him with the intricately woven band of the ephod. You shall put the turban on his head, and put the holy crown on the turban. And you shall take the anointing oil, pour it on his head, and anoint him. Then you shall bring his sons and put tunics on them. And you shall gird them with sashes, Aaron and his sons, and put the hats on them. The priesthood shall be theirs for a perpetual statute. So you shall consecrate Aaron and his sons." Exodus chapter 29, verses 1 through 9. Again, these are fascinating subjects that we discover and learn from the books of Exodus, and we're going to learn more from Leviticus as well. And today we are focused on the anointing of the priesthood. Now the Lord set apart or consecrated Aaron and his sons for generations to come to be his priest on behalf of the people of Israel, which means that God set them apart for a divine purpose. Aaron's posterity and tribe is named after Levi, one of the 12 sons of Jacob. God instructed Moses to set them apart before the congregation of Israel because they needed to know that these men had been specially chosen by God to to serve him. God instructed Moses, quote, and this is what you shall do to them to hallow them for ministering to me as priest. Exodus 29, verse 1. Interesting. To be a priest of God was virtually and very important because they were anointed 
for the holy task of presenting the offerings from the people to God. Now, this was not like a common chore or errand. They were the mediator between God and man for the forgiveness of sins. Let's remember that the Lord told Moses to prepare the priest for God's work, God's way. The priest was not holy and had no power in himself. See, all the power came from God. Now, again, we're dealing with leadership here, and the leadership in the church is very interesting. Now, as we focus on that, take your Bible guide and turn to today's passage. This is the Bible guide for January, and uh, hopefully you're on the mailing list. It takes you through the Bible and teaches you many things. We're going to focus on this today from Exodus chapter 29. And as we do, you can write to us or call us and get the Bible guide, or you can actually go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com and click on the Bible guide, or go to BibleDiscoveryGuide.com and you can click on it there. Thank you for your donations. Very important. Very important. So thank you for them. They really mean a lot to us. Now, as we focus on this, we need to pray. Lord, help us to understand the anointing or the setting apart of your priesthood. Because, Lord, we understand that in the New Testament, we are told in the book of Peter, that we have been assigned the priesthood for the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to put that together and help us to understand it in Jesus' name. Amen. I remember watching on television one time, somebody get very excited about this and say, we are all priests now. And they got excited and built up about it, but they didn't really understand, it seems, what this meant. This was a big deal. Now, fortunately, we have the Holy Spirit and God can help us. Here's what the scripture says. And this is what you shall do to them, the priest, to hollow them for ministering to me as priest. Take one young bull and two rams without blemish and unleavened bread, unleavened cakes mixed with oil and unleavened wafers anointed with oil, and you shall make them of wheat flour. You shall put them in one basket and bring them in the basket with a bull and with two rams. And Aaron and his sons you shall bring to the door of the tabernacle of meeting and you shall wash them with water. And this is very important because Aaron and his sons were brought to the tabernacle and were washed. You see what this means is when we come to God, and are born again, we are washed from our sins because of Jesus Christ. Beloved, I cannot say this enough. It is one thing to recognize Jesus Christ as Lord. It is quite another to recognize him as Lord of your life. Lord Jesus, I need you to wash me of my sins. You know, I got to tell you, I cannot thank the Lord enough for doing that every day. Father, thank you so much for the amazing gift of giving Jesus Christ that he rose from the dead in the flesh. Wash me and keep me clean on this day. That is a powerful thing to remember. We need to keep that in mind as we study this next passage. And then he says this, listen to this. Then you shall take the garments, put the tunic on Aaron and the robe of the ephod and the ephod and the breastplate and gird him with the intricately woven band of the ephod. And you shall put the turban on his head 
and put the holy crown on the turban, and you shall take the anointing oil and pour it on his head and anoint him. Aaron was anointed or set apart with oil to set him apart as priest. We have been cleansed from the filth of this world to become who God has called us to be. We are cleansed. That is absolutely stunning. I'll tell you, Father God, thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for that wonderful, amazing, I mean, it's worth, I mean, we have to praise you for the rest of our life just for that. You've cleaned us from the sin of this world. You've cleaned us from the sin, and we thank you for that. We praise your name. We need to remember that because every time we study about the priesthood, we need to understand that we are also of those who are called priests in Jesus Christ. Very important to remember that according, of course, to First and Second Peter in the New Testament of the Bible. Now, listen to this because this gets really good. It says, then you shall bring his sons and put tunics on them. And you shall gird them with sashes, Aaron and his sons, and put the hats on them. And the priesthood shall be theirs for a perpetual statute. So you shall consecrate or set apart Aaron and his sons. Which brings me to this point. The anointing of the Levites was a perpetual call from God. Listen carefully. We must never misuse or abuse the calling and the offerings of God. We must never misuse and abuse the callings and the offerings of God. Beloved, we need to pay attention to this because so much has been misused today on television, especially on the internet all over the place. It's incredible. We need to understand as believers in Jesus Christ that we are called to present Jesus Christ. This program that I am called to present Jesus Christ. So I do so. We do so through the word of God. The 66 books written by the 40 authors over 1,500 years. Very, very important. We need to understand that God has told us this. And so, Father, I want to pray today that we get it. Because some people really don't. But I pray today that we would get it and that we would see that your calling is so important. And what, what you've done, what Jesus Christ has done in this time is so remarkable. And we thank you for that, Lord. We praise your name for that great calling. Now, Lord, we have to be able to do it. So teach us your way in this world. Show us your path in our situations that we can do the things you've called us to do and do them well with the help of the Holy Spirit, which you have given us. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' wonderful name. And all of us said, amen. Now, from a biblical perspective, why do you think God made humans and apes look similar? Well, the same thing, same reason I think that there are similarities right through all living things. And that is we see a continuum, if you like, which speaks to us of one creator. If we're entirely different to every living, other living thing on earth, we have entirely different chemistry, entirely different everything, then we might think there's different creators.
Welcome back to the program. Today and for the whole month of January, I'm showing you clips from my newest resource called A World by Design 3, which is an ongoing series of interviews that I've conducted with some of the world's top scientists and researchers. And it's available right now, both as a DVD set and as a digital download. To order, you can call, write, or go to our website at BibleDiscoveryTV.com. Now, with that said, today I want to show you another clip from my interview with Christian physicist Dr. Jim Mason. And today I ask him about the nature of science, because many unbelievers think that science has disproved the Bible. Here's Dr. Mason. Okay, let's talk about the nature of science, because we're often led to believe that science has disproved the Bible and that we must always follow the science. But has, has science actually done this? Can science actually do this? Well, it's interesting. Um, what science does actually is disprove things. A lot of people think science proves things, but it actually disproves things. That's just the way science works. Um, and, and so it could disprove the Bible, but to do that, it would have to provide scientific evidence that is contradictory to what you would expect based on the biblical account of things, and it doesn't. The, in fact, the scientific evidence, and, and I should say, when I'm talking about scientific evidence, I mean, ideally, evidence that is created by doing repeatable experiments, because the scientific method is built around doing experiments. So one of the basic tenets of science is that you can do repeatable experiments. Now, in a lot of disciplines that are called science, you can't do that, but you can make empirical observations. You can look around you and see what you can see. And if those observations are in contradiction with, say, the Bible or with some other theory, then that would disprove that theory. If the um, observations are consistent with the theory, it doesn't prove that the theory is true because you might find a, an observation in the future that is contradictory and that would disprove it. For example, if you look around you and all you see are white swans, you might hypothesize that all swans are white. And you might see lots more white swans, but the first time you see a black swan, you've disproved your hypothesis. So, and in fact, when you look at the evidence from all the different scientific disciplines, it's the biblical account that is most consistent with all of those observations. So I really wanna thank Dr. Mason for taking the time to sit down with me and answer all my questions. And I really hope that you all were encouraged and blessed by him as well. I really hope to get him back on the program sometime in the near future. And you should really check out his work over on creation.com. He's written a number of articles and contributed a lot to multiple publications. One of my personal favorites, as I've mentioned before, is his chapter on radiometric dating in the book called Evolution's Achilles Heels. Yeah, that's very important. It's a great book too, by the way. And uh, I, I love the work that these scientists do. There are many scientists, I mean, established scientists yeah. who, who teach this. And we've, we're in a very different place than we were 20 years ago, very different place. And so we're, we're just watching this and taking and listening to it. It's very, very good. So thank you, Ryan. Excellent. Sure. Corey, here we go. All right, here we go. Well, Exodus 4 to 14 tells us of the actual Exodus event, right? From Moses returning to Egypt until the people, Israel, have left Egypt and left Pharaoh's army drowned on the shore of the Red Sea. 
Though there are a ton of interesting things that happen and are said in those chapters, I really want to focus in on the often debated concept of Pharaoh's hard heart. Now, if you count the occurrences of the references to Pharaoh's hard heart, there are nineteen. Nineteen times when those ten chapters talk about the hardness of Pharaoh's heart. Now, three of those references are declarations of God that He will harden Pharaoh's heart. So they're prophecies, if you will. Then there are three times where it said that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Six times when it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, and seven times that just say Pharaoh's heart was hard without directly saying who was responsible for it. So the hardness of Pharaoh's heart is clearly an important theme in the Exodus event. Now I think two things are important to note here, even though they're obvious, and that is one: we have a clear mix of God and Pharaoh hardening Pharaoh's heart, and two: there is also an obvious general meaning to the phrase, which is that. That Pharaoh was becoming stubborn or determined in his responses to God and in his responses to the circumstances and miracles and plagues going on around him. Pharaoh was set in his ways, determined to stick to his principles to the end, without letting his heart be changed by the reality of Israel's God. Now. It's also interesting to note that even though our English translations translate the phrase in the same way, Pharaoh hardened his heart or God hardened Pharaoh's heart, there are actually a few different Hebrew phrases used in the original, and they all apparently mean the same thing. They denote the concept of Pharaoh becoming stubbornly set in his approach to the situation. He was persistent, which, to be fair to Pharaoh here, persistence can be a great asset, but. Not persistence in evil. Good qualities used for evil are still evil. But I want to focus in on the reference to Pharaoh's heart in Exodus eight verse fifteen, which is directly after the end of the second plague, the plague of frogs, and it says in the ESV. But when Pharaoh saw there was a respite, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. So we see here again the mix of God's knowing and working in Pharaoh's decisions and determination. But what's even more interesting is that the Hebrew verb used here for hardened is a different verb than everywhere else. It means to make heavy. So Pharaoh made his heart heavy. Now I'm pretty sure that the English translations don't translate it this way because in English a heavy heart means a burdened heart, a troubled and sad heart. But this is not what the phrase would have meant to the Israelites or the Egyptians. And here is where we can see a clear reference to Egyptian culture, where to make your heart heavy meant to make your heart guilty of sin. It's known from the Egyptian Book of the Dead and from tomb paintings and writings that the Egyptians believed that upon death you would stand before the gods of the underworld and have your heart weighed against a feather. If you were sinless enough that your heart was as light or lighter than the feather, you would enter the happy afterlife. If your heart was heavy with sin, it would be eaten by a demon goddess, and either your soul would be cursed, left roaming, or destroyed. That part's a bit unclear, but. What is clear is that you wanted your heart to be light, not heavy. So Pharaoh making his heart heavy means that he was sinning; he was adding guilt to his heart. It has also been noted that in the mummification process, the Egyptian embalmers would leave the heart in the body for this judgment or weighing of the heart. 
even though they would remove all the other internal organs. The embalmers, who were priests, could also offer special spells and ceremonies to freeze or perhaps harden the heart so that it could not testify against the person during the heart weighing ceremony. So with these beliefs as a backdrop, the concept of judgment comes into play. Pharaoh hardening his heart evokes the concept that he's ready for judgment. He believes he is right and righteous. And God hardening Pharaoh's heart evokes a similar concept. God is calling Pharaoh to be judged. He's lived his life and now he will hold account for it. Not before Anubis and Osiris, the gods of the underworld, but before the true God, the God of the living and the dead. Now, this is interesting because it means that the, his heart was hard. That's clear. And that's what the Bible says. But God hardening Pharaoh's heart means who God was, that he was in, in perfection, and that Pharaoh was adding to what God had said to him in resistance, hardened Pharaoh's heart. Well, and but I think it also, it, it brings forward this very Egyptian context, right? So Moses was raised Egyptian and in that culture, and, and also so were the Israelites. So they understood this concept of the hardened heart and of the heavy heart and that it wasn't good. And uh, and, and so there's this theory that, that, that it was, you could have spells over the, the mummified heart to kind of freeze it and harden it so that it couldn't testify against you. So it kind of means bringing yourself into judgment the way you are right now. So God so calling Pharaoh into judgment based on who he is right, right now. Then. And mm-hmm. Pharaoh hardening his heart, meaning, I am not, I, I will not be changed by you. I will not be changed by the situation. I am righteous now. You will judge me based on this. And God's going, yeah, you're right. I will judge you based on this. Mm. So it's there's not that, that you're concept. Righteous, that, yeah, exactly. Very yeah. interesting. Yeah. Fascinating. Isn't stuff. it? It's, it's so amazing, isn't it? Because as you're talking, I'm thinking of all these different scriptures of how God deals with our hearts. Yes. And that we need to keep our hearts soft and, and we need to keep our hearts open towards that change. And a lot of times it's very painful. Yes. It's not comfortable for us to make those changes, but with God's help, we can so that when we're open to that idea, then we want God to come in and help our hearts. And he says, don't judge by the outward appearance because, and only God can judge the hearts of people. Yeah, because he's the only one who truly sees it, right? right? Like even if you were hypothetically able to get some priest to cast a spell over your heart so that it would freeze in its most perfect condition, wouldn't work with God because he sees all of that. He can see, he can see the internal workings of everything. So all of these systems that we use to try to get around God, Mm -hmm. even from the ancient worlds, it's not going to work. And in the end, Pharaoh saw that. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and, and just living with the attitude of, of, a, of a child with God, because your child knows, your kids know that you love them no matter what happens, but you will bring correction. You will bring consequences when they go outside of those lines because you love them. And it's just so interesting that when you accept Christ to come and live into your heart, there's a peace that comes with that because you know that even in those situations where you are weak and um, you, you, you will make a wrong choice, that God's love can help to correct you in that. 
And so that we don't want that hardening of heart. We want it to be open. We want it to be available. And we know that God's love and his, his mercy is so wonderful that we want to not have to hide like so many have to even Adam and Eve when they when they when they disobeyed God they tried to hide and so often when we're little too and we try to we do something we try to hide and we can't we can't hide but that's a good thing yeah <laughs> <It> ultimately <laughs> is a good thing and all of you who who walk with the Lord and have invited the Lord Jesus to come into your heart you know exactly what I'm talking about and um, and for those of you that don't Come to the Lord Jesus today. Don't hide. Don't feel like you've done too many things, that you've gone too far. Don't be like Pharaoh. Don't be hard. Let the Lord God who gave you life, who has given you breath, and who loves you to be able to come and give yourself to him, and he will help to bring about change. Um, and you will receive that life into your life. Now, looking at the authority of Christ, this is what the authority of Christ is in our lives. We are not the authority. Jesus Christ, the Lord, is the authority. Jesus said in the Great Commission, it's in Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20, it says here, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Then he said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What a beautiful promise from the Lord Jesus Christ. Looking at the preparations that Aaron and his sons went through before the cross, being consecrated and cleansed to be in the service of God. Now we have our authority through the Lord Jesus Christ. We do all things in his name. We alone do not have that authority. Don't let anybody tell you anything different. Now, it can say here, he called his 12 and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. However, it was in his name. It was in his authority. When we try to do things on our own, we will not succeed. We will not. This will not be good for eternity. But it is God. Behold, I give you the authority, Jesus says. But it's only in his name. So as we see the preparation here of Aaron and his sons into service to God, let us remember that we need to give the authority. God already has the authority, but he lives through us. Rumble is a great social media network. I want to encourage you and let you know that you can watch us on Rumble if you go to Bible Discovery TV or look at Bible Discovery TV and uh, you'll be able to see us and understand what we're doing. That We upload the programs there every day and the live stream is there every day. So thank you for doing that. Now let's pray. Lord, help me to live for you today. Oh, help me to live for you. 
I realize this life is just not a, a throwaway life, but it's about you. So help us, Lord, today in Jesus' name. Amen.